welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. These next two weeks, we will be looking at two moments from the Bach Magnificat. Today, it will be the end of the Fecit Potentiam movement. kind of cheating this week and picking two moments that are close to each other. You just heard one when the choir just ended on that big chord, and here's the other, which is the ending of the movement. So we should give a little background on the piece, on what Magnificat is, why it is in Latin, and really what the text means here. We have a story from Luke chapter 1 relating the experience that Mary had when she shared the good news with her cousin Elizabeth, the news that she had heard from an angel that she was going to be carrying a baby, but not just any baby, but the Son of God. And there's a lot of joy in this song that she sings. Continuing in a long tradition of people singing songs of glory to God in the Bible, we see some of that stuff way back in Exodus. Uh, One good example is the song of Miriam and Moses from Exodus, talking about God bringing those people out of slavery. And this one is kind of like that, where she goes on about how mighty God is and how holy he is. And the movement that we've picked here is about God's power. Fecit potentiam in brachio suo. He has made known the power of his arm. And then, coming to my moment, the words dispersit superbos, dispersed the arrogant or scattered the arrogant. It kind of sounds like they're singing disper, disperse, 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 right? The word disperse. And they're singing this all in a layered effect, starting with the higher voices. When you're a composer setting the Magnificat, as many have throughout history, before Bach and after him, when you get to a word like scattered, that's a great time to do something representative in the music. Because that doesn't always happen that nicely, where a certain word is just so evocative musically, and a lot of composers will take advantage of of that moment. Yeah, there's a good example. In one of the arias in Handel's Messiah, it's the one that happens right before the famous Hallelujah Chorus. And it's the one with the tenor aria about dashing them to pieces like a potter's clay, right? Like a potter's vessel. And he has this like dash to pieces thing going. You know, he gets really intense with it and with the instrumental obligato stuff. Too. And here Bach has, actually there's one tenor movement in this that kind of reminds me of that a little bit. You probably know what I'm talking about, Christian. It has an amazing dashing motion to it. It actually happens right after this movement. 
de posuite. Yeah. yeah, and those those violin motions in that have some real slashing nature to them. That is, he has put down the mighty from their seat of power. Cool. It's it's just so expressive. I mean, we've talked a little bit before about how this era was perfect for this kind of expression. The art of the day was just a little bit more accepting of really expressive music, music that really expressed something emotionally. I love all these movements of the Magnificat. We just talked about this, Christian, before we started recording a little bit about how each of these movements has so much character. They're also different. They each have that different affect or that different vibe to them. The arias are all varied, very varied, you know. And I also really love the chorus movements, the ones that have the five-part full choir in them. We talked a little bit about the trumpets in the introduction way back on episode three of the podcast. But... One other choral movement that I really love is the Omnis Generationes movement. Which is just about, it's just the words all generations, right? And so he has all these people singing all these canons together to illustrate a bunch of generations of people singing God's glory. That's another thing, right? When composers have a, a bit of text that talks about like crowds singing or about like all people singing, well, that's a great time to use imitative contrapuntal choir writing. You have some of that here too in this Fecit Potentiam movement. It starts with a really raucous little tenor thing as it goes into all five parts eventually coming in. Very technically challenging to sing this music. Yeah. As I remember, and you do too, from singing this, really hard stuff. And Bach is often accused of writing parts like this for the voices in an instrumental manner. In other words, it's almost like you're singing a violin line or a oboe or flute line. It's not quite like that though, uh, but sometimes it really does seem like that. It seems like you're singing something so technical and jumpy and fast that it could almost have been just the, the violin part. Right, he didn't shy away, as same with many composers in this era, didn't shy away from difficult vocal lines. You should definitely watch the companion videos to this if you enjoy this music. One that uh, speaks exactly to this movement that we're talking about is the companion video where one of the soprano soloists explains her love of the music of the Magnificat. Um, soprano soloist Hanna Blazikova talks about how difficult the vocal lines are, talks about the sort of innocent girlish quality of the first aria that is sung by Mary, basically, right, when she is relating the good news to Elizabeth. It's a kind of a, a wonderfully sweet, feminine-sounding melody put in a high register for a soprano singer. 
these vocal parts are hard enough on their own, but then when they split up to where you can only hear one at a time, you have to like really be on point when you're singing this. And here's the moment, the uh, disperse moment, right? Dispersit. And you can hear it, and what is happening here is all five of these parts have it separately. It actually starts with the bass, which is hard to hear, but then the others come in from the top, soprano one, soprano two, alto, and tenor. And then they all sing together the word superbos, which means like the arrogant, the arrogant people. So the words dispersit superbos, he disperses the arrogant, he scatters the arrogant. The word superbos is almost shouted at you with a dissonant chord, very reminiscent of our episode that we had recently on the St. Matthew Passion, in which we talked about the Barabam or Barabbas moment. It's the similar kind of chord. It's a sudden dissonance, a sudden diminished chord. And I love the ring of this chord. There's a pause just after the chord. It allows it to ring out in the in the beautiful space that they are singing in before the next note is sung. And that, that chord, that next chord that comes in, we have a slower tempo now and a softer sound on the words mente cordis sui, which means the thoughts of their heart. So scatter the arrogant in the thoughts of their heart. And this chord here that they sing is just, it's just fantastic. It's a fully augmented chord. To go from a fully diminished chord to a fully augmented chord like that is, sounds pretty avant-garde. Yeah. Like it, it would sound, it would not sound out of place in some like very avant-garde 20th century sounding music. That uh, superbos is at the end of a phrase, and then there's a dramatic silence, right? A grand pause. And then the weird augmented chord afterwards is a, a bit softer, but it's still arguably equally dissonant. And then it moves back towards stability. So hmm. piece starts stable, goes through a lot of chaos, and then freezes, and then re-enters a strange chaos, and then resolves. So I think this might be a little bit like going off a jump in a bicycle or something. Mm. You're, it's getting it's getting scarier and scarier as you ascend, inevitably, and then you float in the air, and then they're quiet. And then you still have to land correctly. And when you come down, you're still going fast. And you still, things are still uncertain. Until you finally descend to the bottom where you can slow down safely and stop. It kind of feels like that when you're performing this music too. There's a lot of tension and it's like trying to get the timing of something like this correct, you know? And especially for the singers trying to get the pitches just right when they are pretty odd sounding and not very intuitive. 
practicing. It's probably a sense of relief when you're done. To the, the balancing act required to make this all work in a dramatic fashion is pretty intense. To just hang there in the air in that silence and then manage to control the vehicle that is your orchestra hmm. all the way to the end. But just like, you know, adding your own sort of personal style, your own flair to uh, your, your trick you're landing or whatever on your bike, they also get to add their own flair to the performance by making decisions about dynamics and tempos and things like that. So in the original score, what Bach writes there, of course he writes the text where it belongs and he writes those chords, he writes all these notes, right? Well, most of these notes, I should say. He writes what he writes in the score, including the rest that we heard. But then when we come in again on the mente thing, on the slower thing there, he doesn't write, he writes adagio, which means slower, but he doesn't write a dynamic marking. So he doesn't write that it should go softer. And some recordings have this staying loud here. And he also doesn't write in every single note that you hear in this recording, because as we've said before, you get to make choices about ornamentation when you perform stuff from this era. Specifically, I really like what the oboe does on the word cordis. So it's mente cordis, the oboe hangs on a C-sharp for a little bit, it's really nice, and resolves it. It's supposed to be And they, they go Which is pretty cool. It's just a nice little choice. See, I'm looking at the score right there. Yeah, but you get to make those calls, you know? And the timpani at the end. And the timpani, that's another thing, yeah. Very idiomatic and appropriate in this style. Even though those notes at the end are not written. So what is written in that timpani part? So the timpani part is just a whole note on the second to last bar. And the timpanist here adds a bunch of notes, like a drum fill, basically, to use a rock, rock and roll terminology, is when you... You have a space usually between sections of music that you fill in with a little mini drum solo to carry you into the next section. That's what a fill, F-I-L-L, is in drums. Yeah, these are all just, these are all performance practice guided choices. There is so much good stuff in this 12 movement work, the Magnificat. So rather than go through a bunch of it right now, we're gonna save some for next week. We're gonna do one more episode on the Magnificat next week. And even though after that we will move on to some other things, this really is a gold mine and I'm sure we will return here later in future episodes. Yeah. And now let's hear the ending of the Fecit Potentiam movement.
If this moment has inspired you to hear the rest of this movement of the Magnificat and the rest of the entire Magnificat, see the link in the episode description to find the performance by the Netherlands Box Society. Please rate us and review us on iTunes and uh, your other podcast listening platforms. Okay, Christian, what moment from the Magnificat will we be looking at next week? We will be looking at the end of the Esurientes aria. Until next time, enjoy those moments. Thank you.